Let me pray as we begin. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we want to ask for your help tonight. We can't understand by ourselves. Uh, We need the presence of your Spirit and his help to open our eyes. Please show us who you are. Thank you for what we've been seeing, that you reveal yourself through this rescue in Exodus. Please reveal yourself tonight. Help us all to learn just one more thing about who you are, and we ask that that would then change who we are and how we live in response to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, Exodus. Two parts. Part one, who is the Lord? It's all about who God is. Him revealing himself through his rescue. And the answer is, then you will know. And that's a repeated phrase that comes up over and over and over again. God says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, then you'll know, then you'll know, then you'll know that I am the Lord. That's part one. Now part two, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks' time, is who are God's people, who are his people. Then you'll be. Don't worry about that, we'll get it. So we're, we're still in part one. And here's how it goes. So uh, we, we started off in the first week with God hears, which is where uh, God's people are in Egypt and they're crying out and they're in slavery to Pharaoh and they cry out and God hears and he says, I'm going to do something, I'm going to rescue. Um, based upon his, his promises, his big covenant promise he made in Genesis. And then we saw last time that God speaks, he appeared to Moses on the mountain, which they're going to come back to, Mount Sinai, and he speaks and says, I'm the Exodus hero. I am the one who's going to come and rescue. Moses, you've got issues, okay? You know, Moses had his issues, and he knew it, and God knew it, and said, okay, Moses, it's not about how amazing you are, I'm going to rescue my people. God's, God, um, God hears, God speaks, and then today we hear God, God rescues. But let's do what we always do, and go through the fun, repeated thing, okay? So we learn, uh, it, it's, it's good to know how Exodus goes, because it's a big book, so... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to say it all together. Are you ready? God hears. God speaks. God rescues. God speaks again. God speaks again again. God comes down. One more time. God hears. God speaks. God rescues. God speaks again. God speaks again again. God comes down. You ready? God hears. God speaks. God rescues. God speaks again. God speaks again again, God comes down. So we've done God hears, we've done God speaks. So tonight and next week, we're doing God rescues. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 7. Page 63. So we've been seeing the big theme of Exodus is that God reveals himself through rescue. He doesn't just tell us that he's God, he shows us who he is and what he's like, that he's faithful, that he's powerful, that he's loving, that he's the God above all gods. And and we're just at the cusp now, we've had all the preamble and all the talking, we're at the cusp of him actually doing the rescue and showing his power. And the reason he's going to do it, look at chapter 6, verse 7, this is a kind of key memory verse for the whole of Exodus, 6 verse 7, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So the big thing, God's going to act. Then we, the Egyptians, Israel will know that he really is God. But here's my question. 
Why does God need to show us that he is God? He's going on about it. Then you'll know. Why do you have to do that? People often say, you know, if God just did one miracle for me, then I believe. Just just one simple, if miracles can be simple, miracle. And if I saw that, then I believe. But what's about to happen in the many chapters we're about to bomb through, God's going to do a sign, a miracle thing with a snake. It's very cool. It involves snakes eating snakes. He's going to do ten plagues and then the crossing of the Red Sea. That's a lot of effort. Okay, God's going to do a lot of things. Why does it take so much to rescue God's people? The snake, ten plagues, the Red Sea. It's, it's, it feels like a lot. Why does it take so long for Pharaoh, Israel, and even us to be really convinced that God really is God? Well, let's, let's take a look at this first episode, this, the snake episode, all right? Um, this is chapter 7, verse 8. So uh, Moses and Aaron are, are going to Pharaoh, um, and, well, God's telling them what's going to happen. And you'll see what happens. This is their kind of first encounter with Pharaoh saying, let my people go. 7 verse 8, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, he's kind of like, come on, prove it to me that I should listen to God. Then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. That's supposed to be quite impressive. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Aha, I'll match your snake with another snake. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard. And he would not listen, just as the Lord said. So this is kind of round one. And, and already the evidence should be pretty clear how it's all going to end. You know, God is more powerful than Pharaoh. His snake ate the other snake for lunch. You know, you, you've got these two, they're both producing snakes, but one eats the other. God's more powerful. You know, Pharaoh, learn the lesson now. But he doesn't learn the lesson now. He doesn't let God's people go. And why? Verse 13, Pharaoh's heart became hard and he wouldn't listen it's a matter of the heart Pharaoh didn't want to see it even with his first miraculous sign God is more powerful than Pharaoh but Pharaoh's heart was hard and he didn't want to see that his heart is hard now throughout this um, section we have um, different ways that um, Pharaoh's heart is talked about sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his heart sometimes it just says his heart was hard sometimes it says God hardened his heart so as ever in the Bible, we have God completely in control, but also at the same time, Pharaoh doing exactly what he wants, which is not to listen to God. His heart is hard. But the point is this. It takes a lot to convince us that there's no one else like God because of our hearts. Okay, so think about it. Many of us here are Christians. So we believe that God is the true God. Uh, you've turned your life to follow him. So you've nailed it, right? You don't do, do wrong things anymore, do you? You know, you don't doubt God's ability to look after you. You never worry. You never cry out. You never find things, other things more satisfying than God. You're never afraid of anything. Of course you are. Of course you're still afraid. Of course you still sin. Because you and I live so much of our lives as if God isn't the clear winner in the battle of the gods contest. We don't believe quickly and easily that he really is God. 
We live as if his ways aren't good. We live as if he's lost control of the situation. We don't see, and this is going to be our theme for tonight, that there is no one like our God. We find that hard to see because of our hearts, just like Pharaoh. So that's why we have this mahusive display of power, snake, templates, Red Sea. Because it really takes a lot to convince us because of our hearts that there is no one like our God. So let's get into the plagues and the whole thing. And this really is God versus Pharaoh and his gods. And I want us to see that. And I want us to see the result of this battle. There is no one like our God. We're going to go through this quickly. We're going to do a lot. But I think that's important because then we feel the full weight of all these things that happen. And there's going to be a clear winner. So let's go to plague one. Um, so we've seen the snake thing. Brilliant. Okay, first one. Um, chapter 7, verse 14. We're not going to read the whole bunch, don't worry. I'll pick out the highlights. Uh, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refused to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff. It's going to get used a lot. Um, and then what he's going to do is they're going to strike the Nile and it will turn to blood. Okay, it will turn to blood. And then because it, the Nile turns to blood, the fish will die and it will stink and it will become this cesspool. Now think about this for the Egyptians. The Nile was their life. St- kind of still is for Egypt today. It was their drinking water. It's, it watered and made their land fertile. It was their life. It was their economy. And the river Nile was a god for them. Here's their god. Oh, here she comes. Yeah. Called Hapi. Okay, so this really is God taking on the Egyptian gods and saying, I really am the one true God. So they believed that there's so much life in the Nile, it was kind of like this God to them. This life-giving God. And God comes along, the true God comes along and turns it to a cesspool that kills everything rather than giving life. Do you see how he's taking them on and showing he's more powerful? But what we have is, uh, similar with the snake thing, uh, the Egyptian magicians come along and they turn water into blood as well. And that hardens Pharaoh's heart. Play two. Frogs. Let's have a look at chapter 8 and verse 2. So again, they go to Pharaoh. If you refuse to let God's people go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. So again, we have a stretching out of the staff and it hits the Nile and frogs come out. Lots of frogs. And it kind of seems a little bit cartoony, but uh, I don't know if you've ever trodden on a frog or, or even a thought that's like, oh. Did you see the description of the frogs are everywhere? They're going to come up on you. Ugh. I, ugh, that, can you imagine a frog? Ev- like everywhere. They're in your ovens. They're in your kitchen. They're in your bedroom. Frogs, frogs, frogs everywhere. And you're stepping on them and they're slimy and they're nasty. It's horrible. But again, it's an Egyptian god. God is showing his power over nature, but also he's showing this god Heket, who is the god in control of the frogs, the god of the frogs for the Egyptians. Now again, Pharaoh's magicians match this. 
But Pharaoh really, really, really hates frogs. So he says to Moses, please take the frogs away and then I'll give in. This has got his attention. God takes away the frogs. And verse 10 of chapter 8, he changed his mind. It will be as you say, Moses said, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave your houses and your officials, etc., etc. But then Pharaoh changes his mind. His heart is hard. Okay, plague number three. The gnats. Have a look at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. Gnats, these little fly things. Just a few flies again. Does that is that really much? Uh, this struck me this time. I hadn't really noticed. Do you see how it's described? Strike the dust of the ground and the... <laughs> In the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of Egypt. There's a lot of dust in Egypt. I've not been, but I know there's a lot of dust. And these, this dust becomes gnats. That's a lot of gnats everywhere, swarming. Now, Pharaoh and his magician dudes, they try to equal it again. Verse 18, but have a look. Eight, verse 18, but when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, they're starting to get the picture, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen just as the Lord had said. So they start to get the picture, there is no one like this God. But Pharaoh's heart problem persists. Plague four. Flies. And here we get, I'll just describe it for you flies everywhere. Again, they're swarming. The ground, houses, everything will be filled with flies. Now, if I get one fly in my house, it drives me nuts. There was one the other day, you know, this big, fat, juicy fly. Ah, and there's no way, because our window's open like that, because we're in a flat, and you cannot get rid of this fly. Imagine your house filled with flies, and then you try to escape to go outside, and you're outside, and it's filled with flies everywhere. It's awful. But we get something new this time. Have a look at verse 22 of chapter 8. But on that day, God says, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know, there's that repeated phrase, that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. God says, I love my people and this plague isn't going to touch them. All the flies, they're going to be everywhere, but but not around them. And you will know, revealed through rescue, that I am the Lord. Pharaoh says, okay, 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 I'll let your people go. And then he changes his mind. Plague of the livestock. Next one. So uh, this is chapter 9. The Lord said uh, to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, God of Hebrews, let my people go so they may worship me if you refuse and hold them back. The hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, camels, and your cattle, sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction, again, between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt. To take out the livestock of Egypt, again, we don't feel this, but that is the equivalent of initiating a financial crisis and a famine all at the same time. Cattle were their money and their food. But not Israel's cattle, because God loves his people. But Pharaoh's heart, it says, turn over the page, um, 
to verse 7, yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go on page 66 at the very top. He would not, his heart was unyielding. Next plague. The boils. Um, verse 8, take handfuls of soot and he's to throw, Moses throw it into the air and it will bring out festering boils on all the people and again all the animals of the land. This is an age where there's no nice, cool, antiseptic cream. Every single person, every animal rendered immobile because of festering, pussy sores. How are the little magicians holding up? Verse 11, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. They're not looking so powerful against God anymore. Okay, so what do you think? How's the battle of the gods faring? You know, is it looking clear to you yet who is the true God? Is it Pharaoh? Is it the Egyptian gods? Is it his magicians? They're starting to get the picture. Come on, Pharaoh, give in now. Heart problem persists. Next one, hail. Verse 13. Let's read. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I may show you my power there's the revealing again, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. And man, we have these little hailstorms here. These are... God says, you better go in and gather your people, gather in the animals. These hailstones will kill people. Do you, do you sense that... God ramps it up this time. I'm going to unleash the full force of my power. Pharaoh is resisting and resisting and resisting. And so God is going to make it so clear that he really is the most powerful God. And not Pharaoh, not his gods. God could have wiped them out, but instead he's revealing through rescue he really is the true God. And it means that this person, Nut, the God of the skies, is not like this. You see, you see her stretched over the sky so for the Egyptians there was a God who controlled the skies and the weather and all that came from it and God says no no I'm in control of the weather I'm in control of the skies it's me um, have a look at verse 27 Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron this time I've sinned he said to them the Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong praise to the Lord for we have enough thunder and hail I will let you go you don't have to stay any longer and so they go through the whole thing where Pharaoh pray, uh, Moses prays and it goes away. Verse 34, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses again. God takes it away and Pharaoh thinks he's God again. Next plague. You're doing well. Keep going. The locusts. Have a look at chapter 10. And verse 14. Uh, so locusts. Uh, locusts are like these mahusive um, grasshoppers. They're big fellas, right? Okay. Um, 
there. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. Verse 14, they invaded all Egypt and settled down in, in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been a, such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. Can you imagine? Goodness, they devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit and the trees. Nothing green remained in the tree or plant in the land of Egypt. The image here is a kind of post-apocalyptic nuclear kind of wasteland. Everything is covered, devoured by these locusts. And um, verse, just go back to verse 7. The officials really are getting the picture that God is the only God. Uh, verse 7, the Pharaoh's official said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? That's referring to Moses. Let the people go, Pharaoh, so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? They're starting to get it. They get that this guy, Set, the god of the crops, the Egyptian god that they would pray to, to give them a, a full crop, he's nothing compared to God, who in, in an instant can wipe out all the crops. There is no one like our God. The officials are getting it. Pharaoh still doesn't. Plague nine. Darkness. Throughout this, and after Moses' request to take all the people and all the cattle out, Pharaoh says in verse 28, turn up the page, we're on page 68 now, keep going, we're almost there. Verse 28, Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight, make sure you do not appear before me again, the day, day you see my face, you will die. So you can sense that this is the end, this one. So, God has brought darkness over the whole land and that begins to tip Pharaoh over the edge. Now darkness, I think, as Plague 9, seems, feels like a little bit of an anticlimax. Okay, we're really ramping it up. It's going to be dark for a little while. doesn't feel like it's really doing much. But, I mean, this has to be one of the oldest things in the world that people worship the sun. This is Ray, the sun god. The sun has always been this object of worship, this, this object of power, again, of life, for light to see and, and crops. Remember, they've got no light, no electricity here. To be in, plunged into darkness is a disaster. Is to say, your great sun god is nothing. And God just switches him off like a desk lamp. Then we get plague 10. The death of the firstborn. This will be the final straw. Chapter 11, verse 4. This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son in Egypt, uh, sorry, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these um, officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and your people will follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Why this? Why the big final plague being the death of the firstborn? Well, God has actually already anticipated it back in chapter 4. Turn with me. To chapter 4, verse 22. What I want us to see is that what Pharaoh is doing to God is deeply 
personal to God. Chapter 4, verse 22. This is God anticipating what's going to happen. Say to Pharaoh, 4, verse 22, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. Pharaoh has enslaved God's child, Israel, his people, who he loves. And God's commitment to his people means that he hears, he speaks, and he rescues. And he will not let his son languish in slavery under this guy. And perhaps the most famous of all the gods of Egypt is Osiris. Many of us will have heard of him, the giver of life. And God shows, no, there is no one like our God. Not Pharaoh, who enslaves God's son. Not Osiris, the giver of life. No, God gives and takes away. Pharaoh has tried to take away God's son. So God will take Pharaoh's. But not Israel. Their firstborn sons will be saved. They're to get a lamb, sacrifice it, smear the blood on the doorframe of their houses... And the lamb will die instead of the firstborn of the people of Israel. The angel of the Lord, when they passed through that night, and there was wailing and crying in every house in Egypt, not a dog even barked in the house of the Israelites. The judgment fell on those who rebelled against God, but not on those who had blood shed in their place. This is salvation for God's people. And then they're to break bread, uh, sorry, bake bread, which breaking comes a lot later. To bake bread and they had to rush out so they didn't have yeast, so they have these flatbreads, don't worry about that just now. This time though, Pharaoh tells them to go. He tells them to go. This is it. This is the moment. We get to the climax of the story. God displaying his rescuing power. So they, they, um, God gives them the, the Passover celebration so they're to celebrate this moment for the rest of their lives and their generations as Israelites. That God rescued his people, that he loved them and he took them out. And so they go. And they take the gold and silver with them as they leave because that's what God said would happen. And God was with them as he led them out. Have a look at verse 13, 21. You're doing really well. I know we're doing a lot. You're going to have time to reflect later. We're almost there. Verse 21 of chapter 13. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. And God led them to the Red Sea. Almost there. They think it's all over and it's not yet. We've got still got to do the Red Sea thing. So God isn't finished, but again, why is he not finished? Now remember, we take a lot of convincing that God is really God. And actually, the Israelites don't believe God at this point. This is this is nuts. 14 verse 11. The Israelites, they've just been rescued. They say to Moses, 14 verse 11, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They've just had 10 plagues of awesome, mighty power. And God's saying, I'm going to love you. I'm going to rescue you and show you my power and bring you out. And they go, ah, Pharaoh's coming after us. We're going to die. What are you doing, God? They're just like us. They see all this power and they still don't believe. They still doubt. So they need to see one more time that God really is the God above all gods and there's no one like him. So God replies to them in verse 13. This is, this is really cool. Okay. 
Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only only to be still. (laughs) I love that. The the army is chasing them to the Red Sea and they're terrified. God's going to fight for you. What do you guys need to do? Just stand and watch. Just see what God's going to do for you. So Moses is to raise his staff again, strike the water again. And verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all, the, and, and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with the strongest east winds. And it turned to dry land. And they walked through. And then Pharaoh and his army, they chase through um, as the water is held up. God's people go through. They chase through. God jams the wheels of the chariots, verse 25, over the page 72. Verse 25, he jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. The Egyptians said, let us go away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. They see the battle of the gods going on. And then Moses stretched out his hand and the water came crashing over them. Let's read the final verses of this episode. Verse 28, the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But God's son... The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. It's over. God has displayed once and for all that there's no one like our God. Now we've seen there's no one like our God. So as we finish, I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of in life? Is there a particular person, maybe? Are you afraid of yourself, what you know you're capable of? Are you afraid of losing someone, losing something, something that just feels really fragile? Are you afraid of death? What happens? Can I I be safe after death? Are you afraid of failure in life? Are you afraid of world events, what we could do to each other? Okay, can you now, after watching this rescue, with this display after display of awesome rescuing power, can you now see that nothing that you are afraid of comes even close to being difficult for God to handle? Can he deliver you from death? Well, what do you think, having seen this? I think he can. Can he overcome your sin? Can he help you through your suffering? You tell me. You've seen his power. What do you think? There's no one like our God. And then we read this in 1 Corinthians 5, and we'll have a sermon on this on a Sunday in a few weeks' time. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. There's another display of God's rescuing power, and it makes Exodus look like a walk in the park. Just as the lamb died in the place of the firstborn Israel, Christ, the firstborn son of God, died in our place. His blood was smeared on the wood of the cross to pay for our sin, to rescue us from the jaws of death and hell. He smashed the teeth of Satan. You don't need to be afraid of him. Can he overcome your sin, your guilt before God? You bet he can. In fact, he has. 
Jesus rose from the dead. So like the people just walked through the, the dry land out into God's to worship God. Jesus walked out of the tomb. The greatest display of power the world has ever seen. Can he save us from death? He has. Do you see it? Ten plagues, the Red Sea, they should leave no room for doubt that there's no one like our God. But here's the thing. We have more. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in our fear, in our hard-hearted self-centeredness, look at Jesus. And I want to ask, do you see, do you believe when you see his awesome display of rescuing power that there is no one like our God? Here's what we're going to do now. We're going to turn to our groups and we're going to look at the next chapter, which is Israel responding to what has happened. So I know we've, we've been through a lot. It's been jam-packed. Take a step back with the Israelites and look back at what's happened and respond with them and learn and reflect on what happened. Let me pray and let's go into our groups. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to grasp and see this awesome display of your power your rescuing power thank you for your compassion on your people that you provided the lamb to die in their place and thank you that you have given us christ that you don't call us to earn our salvation to impress you with our good works we suck we're so hard-hearted you gave us jesus to die in our place thank you that he has displayed that awesome rescuing power. And I pray now as we reflect and go into these verses, please help us understand some difficult stuff. But please, I ask that you would move us to worship like the Israelites did, to sing praise that there is no one like our God. Amen.